Jeff Ogilvy survives Wingfoot. Now the moment Aaron Badley has waited. Curry Webb is the five-time Australian Open champion. Golf at its best by one of the best in golf, Peter Thompson. Stand in front of a crowd like this today and win the PGA Championship is pretty special. He's done it at last. Greg Norman. his name on the Stonehaven Cup. Leishman to 11 under. Now we've got a new leader, kids. Here is Adam Scott. A life changer. Coming up next, you have unrestricted access to golf across Australia and the world. Thanks to Golf Australia, we're going inside the ropes. Subscribe now on iTunes or your favourite podcast app or head to golf.org.au. Hello and welcome to Inside the Ropes. Episode number 97, I'm Mark Hayes. In Andy Marr's absence, you'll have to sit through my droning voice for the next hour or so, but in far better news for your ears, we have a, we've found someone who's been lost to the podcast for quite a while. He was a very, very famous and familiar voice for a while last year, but Matt Cutler, welcome back. You've found the studio. Well played. Thank you, Hazy. Thanks for inviting me back. Well, we've been inviting you. What's been going on in your world? Well, I've been doing my real job. Um... Trying to look after some high-performance programs, uh, having a lot of fun there, and uh, yeah, I've and, found the time to come in. And since we last spoke to you, you have changed roles. I have, I have. Well, so, well, the whole of Golf Australia's changed, which I know you've touched on, but uh, from a high-performance perspective, I'm looking after Victoria and Tasmania, um, overseeing the development of the players in those states, and uh, working in tandem with uh, Tony Meyer and Adrian Wickstein, who look after their remaining states. It must be a pretty tense job because uh, the follicles on your chin are sort of starting to rival the length on the top of your bonds. Um, I knew I was coming in with you. And <laughs> sitting opposite, I just want to look like I'm looking in the mirror. <laughs> Fair enough. I'll have to wear that one on the chin, so to speak. We're also joined by Mike Clayton, back for a, another appearance. Clates, uh, it's it's uh, very good to have you here as always. Thanks. And I'm, I'm going to drill you with some Masters trivia later. Okay. The two, the two Australians who... Knocked back invites to the Masters. Yeah, well, you can you can regale us about that story. It's going to be great. So, very special Masters edition. Uh, it's the biggest build up uh, in in golf all year, and and uh, we're right in the thick of it now. We're going to devote a fair chunk of time to that to the chase for the green jacket, including a chat with a, a man on the ground there, Evan Priest, the golf reporter for AAP, in our second segment. So stick around for that one. Uh, and we will get back to the Masters chat very soon. But it has been a, a big week in golf already. Uh, not least of which was the ANA Inspiration, the first major championship of the year. Uh, Clates, I know that um, you've been quite taken by the winner when she's been in Australia, and I'm assuming you've seen her on other occasions too, but Jin Young-Ko, the young Korean, uh, has leapt all the way to world number one uh, with yeah, her win in, in, at Rancho Mirage. I first saw her play in the Hannah Bank tournament in Seoul. She was playing with So Young Yu and Tommy Watson, who was coming for So Young, said, watch this kid play, she's really good. And she hit... She made seven up the last to allow Soyoung to tire for the day. So it was like six or nine. Hit in the water, and yeah, she made it, went for it, knocked it in the water, and made seven. But she was a tremendous player. She, I mean, really orthodox. Yeah. Orthodox, orthodox swing. I mean, almost as, as, almost as flawless as you can get a golf swing to be. Is, is this stupid? Because I haven't got your eye for these sort of things, but she almost looks like the female equivalent of Peter Thompson. Yeah, a little bit more mechanical, perhaps. Is, is that kind of? Thompson was a perhaps a bit more fluid, if that might, if that's and not 
not a criticism of her swing. Her swing just, no. when you watch her swing, you just think, how does she ever hit a bad shot? Yeah. Like, she's never going to hit a destructive shot. She, she might miss hit it, but she's never going to hit one off the planet. And, you know, so it's no surprise she's the best player in the world right now. And we were thrilled when she gave a response to a question about her 2019 goals at the Women's Australian Open, which is her first. Uh, actually, I think she might have gone across and played that first one. So it was probably a second event for the year. Um, but she was asked what her goal was, and it was to be the happiest player on the LPGA Tour. I think she's in such she's such a lovely young woman. Um, we're going to see her on top of the women's game for a long time now. Uh, Maddie, I said to someone yesterday I was watching her because she was she won with a leg in the air, really. Um, she got challenged late a little bit by Mi Hyung Lee, but not really from Lee challenging. It was more, as Clayton said, if she, if she did something wrong herself. I reckon she can win an absolute truckload of major championships. It's been a while since we've had someone win multiple. Have you got that sort of feel? Yeah, well, as Clayton said, she doesn't have a swing that you can see anything going wrong with. So how can that go wrong at all, let alone um, over a long period? So I think for her, it's just turn up. She'll be in contention every week. I mean, there's a there's a, there's a a common few that are always in contention on the LPGA Tour, and, and she'll be one of them, and they'll just share it around. I'm, I mean... She's obviously not scared of uh, major championships, um, the Aussie Open, obviously, big events. So, yeah, I, I can see her just contending week in, week out. I'm going to put a number on it, Clates. I reckon she can win eight to ten. Uh, well, they've got to last long enough to do that. That's yeah. the problem in the women's game. I mean, they, what did Lorena win? She won. Overall, Lorena won. She's not, they won't let her in the Hall of Fame because she, she's obviously had a Hall of Fame career. She's but she, only, she didn't play ten years. You have to play ten years. Yeah. So she only played, even though she qualified for the Hall of Fame, she's only played seven or eight years, so they won't let her in, which is so ridiculous. I mean, Laura Davies to, is not in either? Well, she only Jeez. won 29 tournaments. You have to win. Do you have to win 30 tournaments or something? That Laura I, got in. It's, it's a, no. Well, she got in the World Golf Hall of Fame, but not the LPGA Hall of Fame. Oh. The LPGA Hall of Fame is the hardest thing to get in ever. But they won't let the rainer in because she only played for seven or eight years. So Jin Young-Ko's got to play. She's played, what, two years in the tour now? And she only... Play. She only really started playing the LPGA because she won that the year after I saw her play the Hannah Bank tournament. She won that tournament, I think, which got her an LPGA card. Otherwise, she was just going to play in Korea. Yeah. She has got a, a delightful manager, Sujin Choi, her name is, who, who sort of tags around. They seem like they're having a good time. And I think uh, it was mentioned on the coverage yesterday, on the NBC coverage, that you know she does miss Korea. So it is always a lure because the, you don't step down in quality when you go back and play the KLPGA, that's for sure. So No, and if her goal is to be the happiest golfer, she's going to play wherever makes her happy. That's a good point. So maybe I should dial that back. But I just think her game looks like no, it could be tremendous. anything. But Aria looks like she should win every major too. And, and same for SH Park. I mean, they all look like they should win every major. They're, they're the Rory of the men's game. There are three of them. Yeah. Like, why don't you win everyone? Yeah. So it's um, – but uh, going back to Augusta, talking about Augusta, the irony of that women's Masters thing last week they played was that I think there was one Korean playing. Yeah. And you yeah. can't tell me that there aren't 50 Koreans up there who aren't amongst the best 80 women in the world. No, if you had top 72, we will come to the um, Anwar in a few minutes, but if you, if you had 72 of the top female amateurs in the world, it stands to reason that 20 of them would be Korean. Yeah. So clearly they have no interest in amateur golf outside of Korea, really. I mean, they, they come and play the Australian – they're second-string players. So they come and play the Australian amateur and win that every year. Yeah. I mean, they just how, don't, how, give, they don't give themselves an opportunity to get ranked. Yeah. And and we say ranked. They're, they're obviously ranked back home, but from a worldwide community ranking, they don't, they don't appear. 
And that, that applies to a lesser extent to the Australians as well. I mean, just don't get the chance if you stay domestically to get the world rankings points, the waggers. Yeah, but we care about that. The Koreans clearly don't care yeah. about that. Because if they cared about it, they would be the top. My guess is in the top, if you rank the top 20 women amateurs, women amateurs in golf, 10 of them would be Koreans. Yeah, yeah. it's an incredible <laughs> proportion. So of the uh, following up, Mi Hyung Lee was second. So Jin Young Ko finished at 10 under, Mi Young Lee at 7 under. Lexi Thompson made a bit of a rally late, never really in contention, but finished at six under and third of the Aussies. Uh, only three made the cut. We were buoyant last week, but uh, Catherine Kirk gave a really good shout for a really long time, Clate. Yeah, she's been going to see a guy called Dana Delquist in California because she was uh, – I saw her play three – Royal Melbourne, when was that open? Four years ago? She was five years ago. She was on the way out. She couldn't hit the ball very well and just she, – she'd played – I thought she'd – was long past playing her best golf, but he's turned her game completely around. She's a much better player now than she was five years ago. And she seemingly is playing better in major championships as she gets older too. So, I mean, she was second at the halfway mark here, faded a little bit to finish in a share of 17th at uh, two under, but still was you know had a name on the leaderboard. If she'd birdied the last couple instead of bogeyed the last couple, she finishes in the top five. It's not mm. bad. Yep, she's doing better, which is good. And the other Australians to make the cut, Minji Lee was uncharacteristically subdued through the week, closed with a 71 to finish at one under and a tie for 21st. Sarah Jane Smith had a pair of 76s over the weekend to finish plus 13 and 74th, and the others unfortunately missed the cut. Uh, sticking with, well, in some respects, sticking with the, the women's game, uh, we need to turn our attention to a really innovative event that was played uh, but featuring three tours, and it's the Jordan Mixed Open. I'm not sure if you guys caught up with this, but it was the the senior European Stayshore Tour, yeah. the secondary challenge tour on the European Tour side of things, and the LET all combined to play for the one trophy on the one course at the same time. It seemed like it worked out pretty well. Challenge yeah. to a guy won, right? Beat Meg McLaren shot yeah. 72 the last day to lose. Yeah. Well, Dan- not lose, but she was leading and lost. Yeah, Dan Housing yeah. won and, and, and caught Megan late, but um, she, she featured heavily. She, she It was hers yeah. really for for the majority of the time. But Peter Fowler was what? Chuck, Chuck was sixth, wasn't he, I think? Uh, tied for seventh at 11 under. The the best older guy, Clates, for want of a better phrase, was Jose Cacheras. Caceres? Okay, good player. He won on the PGA Tour in America yeah. a couple of times. Is he Argentinian? Yeah, really good player. Yeah. Really good player. So he was 12 under. Peter Fowler was 11 <clears> under. Um, before we talk about the tournament, Richard Green ceded bragging rights, Matty, to uh, to Marianne uh, Scarpnord, yes. his partner. Yes. Greeny finished uh, at four under and Marianne stitched him up. So Greeny was under. playing, what, was part of the senior tour or part of the challenge? What, what, um, how was he playing in that thing? Is he 50 yet, Granny? He must be right knocking on the door of 50s. He might have been either. He could have been either. I wonder what he had. Oh, no, I suspect he was on the other I tour, he? might have had a challenge invite. I think he had a, yeah, like I suspect he was. A, That's but, but a really good format. I remember talking to Trish Johnson, L.E.T., at the Vic Open, because both, both those tours are done. The L.E.T. and the Senior Tour in, in Europe are really struggling to play for any decent number of tournaments for any decent amounts of cash. And So, Trish, why don't they – do something like the Vic Open and team up and play them together. At least you're offering the sponsor something different. Mm-hmm. She looked at me like I was an idiot. <laughs> but I thought that was a pretty good idea. I mean, if you, at least if you combine them, you've got something innovative and different to sell yeah. and, you know, kind of a different event. But Absolutely. And it, yeah. it, it brought in three sets of fans. Yeah, I think it's a, come and it's watch a great and, idea. I mean, I just <clears> looked at the, the – hats off to the, um, the way the course was set up because of the cut, there were 25 challenge players, 21 – 
senior players and 20 LET players. Yeah. So they got a really fair and, mix. Of, and hard to do that. Hard to get that course where you get a pretty even balance yeah. about. So they were at pains to point out that they had three T positions for the three different groups. Mm. Is that a fair and equitable, equitable way of doing it, or do you need to allow for the women's lack of spin, even the senior guys' lack of spin compared to the young Tyros with their second shot in? Is it just a matter of distance or is it a matter of positioning and being able to use lofted clubs? You can't worry about the spin too much. I mean, you can't acquiesce to the women completely, I don't think. But it seemed like that whatever they did, they did it really well. Yeah, well, they played. Yeah. They played the. Uh, what were the lengths? Yeah, the, the LET played at sixty one hundred yards, the, which is w- w- which is too short. That's way too it's short. short. It's only way five thousand five hundred. That, that's way too short. Which for is them. very short. That's yeah, way um, too short. But the, the challenge, uh, the seniors played at sixty six hundred, so which is about about fair. Yeah. right. And then the challenge tour played at seventy one hundred, which is short for those guys. Short for those guys. Yeah, so. I'm presuming I assume they played off the back. It would be better if the challenge tour guys played seven four and the women played six four. Yep. And then the, and the seniors played six seven. That that would work better. Yep. But I guess it's limited by where the tees are. Is it more important to have back tees are not the women's tees but the back tees on an average length par four? Is it more important for them to have uh, the same distance in for the second shot or the same club in their hand? In theory, probably the same club. Yeah, the same distance yep. is you know one one forty is well one seventy is a nine iron and a Five iron, yeah. So you you want them to have the the, the same what do we say same, same club, club, yeah, same club, club yeah, yeah. Which I sounds like that's what they tried to do. But six thousand one hundred yards is unbelievably short for you know good players. That's a really short golf course. Well, to your point, I mean, we've never talked about a golf tournament in Jordan before uh, on this podcast, so it's brought. Uh, notoriety to an area and a tournament that has never had it previously. I, Maddie, did you? I assume you were fully in its praise. Absolutely, and and as I was thinking about it, it's, it's not something you want to do too often because we can go over the top with these different formats. So if they're going to remain um, a point of difference and and have the cut through that they need, we should have them every now and then. But yeah, I love the concept, which moves us to another groundbreaking. Concept, uh, the Augusta National Women's Open, which we, um, I've only got one word for this, and it was wow, just wow. And I'll tell you why in a minute, Clates. Before I do the housekeeping, Victoria and Julian Sue was one of the 42 starters who didn't get to play a competitive round at Augusta, having shot rounds of 81 and 77 at the Champions Retreat, uh, but she did get to play the practice round on the Friday, so she sort of lived out a dream, even if it, even if it wasn't competitive. Have yeah. you had a chance to chat to her? I know no, you're close no, to Jules. Not really. Um, but the big thing was uh, when they moved to Augusta National and they played it live around the US and the world, for that matter, on delay uh, on Saturday, their time. One of the more – we've got so many storied memories of Augusta National, but this one jumped up highly among them straight away. And, Matty, I, I, I put it to you <laughs> – I normally reserve that for S. Magdulski – but I put it to you that this was the greatest showcase of not only amateur golf – but female amateur golf that we could possibly muster. So on a course that we all know, and we can see exactly how good these girls were. Spot on. This was the highlight of the week for me, just watching a different set of people play a course we know so well. Uh, It's easy to watch the Masters and think, well, these are the best guys in the world. They can play those shots. But then to come and see the shots that uh, Jennifer Cupcho played, that Maria Fassi played, and they played the shots that we know, and they played the shots that we've seen so often 
and they played them better, if as well, if not better. Like a couple of those shots into the par fives were just yeah, it's not ridiculous. Kind of the cup you, did you watch that? I watched it. I've seen it. It was a pretty good shot. Holy cow! Yeah. Any man in the Masters field later this week would be happy to hit that shot, albeit with a different club from where she was sitting. Yeah, but that but, that that makes it all the more impressive. It like does. the shot into fifteen, even where she drew it around the trees with a with a fairway wood or a hybrid of some sort. We we see the what are they hitting into fifteen, Clates? The guys four irons, yeah. five irons, four three irons. Yeah. yeah. So it's look, it's it's an equivalent shot into fifteen, but the difficulty of that shot plus to move it, it, it is just such a great advertisement for, for amateur golf and, and women's amateur golf. So just, let's just touch on that. Jennifer um, Cupshow, who was the number one amateur in the world, had a, has had a, a great couple of years for Wake Forest in the United States. She's a bit nervous early in her final round and made a bogey on the 10th. And it's sort of Maria Farsi, the girl you mentioned before from uh, Mexico, looked for all money like she was going on and she was up and about and pumping. Uh, from the time that she hit that awesome hybrid, I think it was, on the 13th to set up Eagle Cup Show, um, left a birdie putt on the lip on 14, birdied 15, birdied 16, parred 17, birdied 18. I mean, that is – that's elite. That's a finish. That, that's got Charles Schwartzel's measure. Yeah, it really has. I mean, it was just an hour and a half of wizardry from a, from a young girl realistically the world hadn't heard of. Oh, let's be honest about this. If you have to be a devotee of amateur golf – to yeah. know Jennifer yeah. Cup show. Yeah. Did did it open your eyes, Clayton? Or you, you uh, I shouldn't say that because you're you're one of the devotees, but do you think it would have opened others' eyes, perhaps, is a better question. Yeah, I think it's anything that kind of promote I mean, Niall Horan's there this yeah. week. Which he, Thirty nine million Twitter followers, okay. the greatest promoter of women's golf ever. You know, people talk about I know John Huggins written this column about you know, people influential people in golf. What's Ricky Fowler got? One point five million Twitter followers? This guy promotes golf better than any player on the PGA Tour, and he's got 39 million followers. Yeah, and there he is watching the women play and promoting it. And yeah. so, I mean, there's a good argument to say Niall Horan's almost the most important man in golf right now in terms of promoting the game to, to to a demographic, young girls who think golf is only a game for stupid old men. Correct, and 39 million followers that don't necessarily follow golf. I'd say 38.9 million aren't <laughs> golf followers, whereas Ricky Fowler is 1.5. In are fact, golf fans. Eamon Lynch did a story with uh, Niall today or yesterday, and he was Niall was talking about. It. He said, "How many young girls come to you? Oh, I've taken up golf." Yes, you know, I read that. So article. it was, you know, so it's, you know, that's the arguably as important as, and Augusta invited him there every year. They actually invite him to the drive, chip, and putt show and stuff. So as important as the tournament is that you get a guy like that who's actually promoting golf to young girls. And, you know, it's, it's not a game for every girl, clearly, but, you know, it's an amazing game to play for life. I mean, swim, how long does swimming in AFL and cricket and basketball and netball last before you wreck your you – know, before you're tired of it or you've ruined your body or – but golf's an amazing game for girls to play. And, and you're not going to get – you know, if he could convert 0.1% of 39 million – yeah, young girls take to that. take up golf. It's such a cool game to play. But mm. And Leona you know, Maguire it, it, had a win this yeah. week. Um, who's managed by who's the managed same. By Niall, by, yeah. yeah. And Guido Migliozzi won in Kenya, who's another one of his clients. So he's actually He's, he's actually doing some stuff. Yeah. You know, I, I think he did he fund that challenge to event in Northern Ireland. I think he Yeah, I think he, he did. Yeah. I think he did. So he's actually doing an amazing job for golf, that kid. Incredible. And I think Jennifer Cupshow and uh, Maria Farsi did the same on the weekend just – 
took golf to a new place. I was in awe. It was phenomenal. So, so can we get more events there, or is it, would we nah. would it lose it? Would, like I, I thought it was kind of mean they cut one kid out. You know, it was a thirty dead cut, thirty even cut. Oh, the, the, so there were thirty one players made the, made the cut yeah. or made the, were on the number. So ten of them, eleven of them played off for ten spots. I mean, you can't find room for one. You know, really? They, they would have nutted that out, like, logistically for the 15 groups about a year and a half ago, I reckon. Yeah, I thought it was pretty mean to... So what do you reckon, Clates? Is it something where we love it because there's so little of it? Or could we see... We love what? The, 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 the tournaments at Augusta National. Could we see an LPGA major wow. there or an LPGA wow. event you know, or a men's me, amateur it's event? It's incredibly disappointing to see that women's major played on that golf course in Palm Springs. It's not a dreadful golf course, but, you know, they play the Evian, which is not a good course. They don't even play the best course at Woburn this year for the British Open. And they play that, that thing at, in Palm Springs. I mean, they had three really average golf courses, really average golf courses. And women's golf needs to play on better golf courses. The LPGA needs to go to better better bits of architecture, I think, to make it more, more interesting to play, more interesting to watch. You know, so if they get to Hazeltine later and, and, this year, yeah, and the, that's the L, the KM the K, what, K, the KPMG LPJ Championship, really. Yep. Yeah, so but they always go to good courses. Yeah, the US Open doesn't even do that. So you know, it's it's great that they. I mean, and again, it what it what to me what it showed off the women playing at Augusta showed off what good architecture does to make compelling golf. If you're playing a boring yeah. golf course that's not interesting, the golf's going to be boring and not particularly interesting. But yeah. if you play a compelling bits of architecture, we've all watched tournaments at Royal Melbourne and Kingston, how much more interesting the golf is. Oh, 100%. So, so the LPJ needs to go to more interesting golf courses to make it more compelling to watch. But I don't want to watch that fake, rubbish, last hole thing on the A&A where they, where they move the tees up 50 yards so Lexi can knock it, you know, knock it on the green on Sunday. And that's basically a 100-yard par three, that hole, with two really boring shots to start with. You can hit five wood, four iron up there 100 yards off the green the first three days and wedge it on. It's an awful hole. But you go and watch them play 13 Augusta, and you can watch them play that hole all day. Yeah. You know, it's an amazing hole. You can have a three or a ten. So, so, you know, it's just play better golf courses. Here, here. Uh, and back to Augusta, I guess it leaves us one final – uh, entering into the Masters this week, Corey Connors. Now, how was that? This we we always seem to find story that'll just rock your socks. Uh, Corey Connors was trundling along on Monday. In the- but who's a but who's a much better player than a Monday qualifier? I guess he was Monday. Yes. He's had a couple of good finishes this year. Right? He has, but he's got very limited status. Yeah, he he played in the Australian Amateur a few years ago at the Australian. Oh, did he? Really nice kid. Like he couldn't ask okay. to meet a nicer kid. Uh, so full credit to him. He's trundling along in the Monday qualifier uh, in San Antonio, and he has to make a thirty foot putt on the eighteenth hole to get into a six for one playoff on the Monday afternoon. So he cans a 30-footer to get into the playoff, wins a six-for-one playoff to get into the field, and then does this on the back nine. Birdies 10, 11, 12, 14, 16, and 17 after having four birdies and four bogeys on the front nine. He made two par- but the other thing that happened in the qualifier was some guy yep. had a two- or three-foot putt, left the flag in the board, the flag, and came straight back out. And he was, was he one of the guys he was in the, in the qualifier? Yeah. So, so, so if, that, if he takes the flag out and knocks that putt in, there's not even a playoff. The kid, the Connors oh, doesn't even, know that. Yeah. Connors doesn't even get into the playoff. Wow. So if you'd, if you'd said to him standing over that 30 foot putt, you make this putt, you're going to be in August next year. He'd look at you like you're a complete idiot. Yeah. 
Yeah. That's an unbelievable story, and it? it just shows the vagaries yeah. of golf. Oh, I mean, seriously, we talk about taking advantage of your opportunities, and he just went bang and and. So is he playing the Australian Open this year? Well, who's been on the phone? Well, Clates, I made contact with him when he was at the Australian back a couple of years ago, oh, and sweet. I always said to him, like, "We'd love to have you back one day," and he he seemed to say yes. So clearly, I'm, I can't speak for what's going to happen, yeah. but he's he he knows that he knows the course. Uh, we're back at the Australian this year, and, and he and he's uh, loves Australia. So we're one step ahead of the game. Well, you say, "I'll come back. Give me three hundred thousand bucks." <laughs> Thanks yeah, very much, he's mate. He's a Canadian. He's yeah, a good man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it is incredible, and I, you know, we don't want to beat up on other sports, but I can't imagine someone who isn't ranked in um, tennis. Let's go with tennis. Uh, rocking up to the qualifier and then going all the way through a tournament, and and uh, you know, pipping the likes of Jordan Spieth. To you know, to win the tournament and Charlie Hoffman in this instance, it's the beauty of golf and it shows the the absolute razor's edge that these guys' careers are on. Yeah, and I think it was really nice. We we all hear about the private jets and the millionaires or the multi-millionaires, but like the emotions that his wife was going through was on like, the coverage, like th- this was a life changer for him. Yeah, absolute life. Changer. Was that his wife or his mum? That was his wife. Both. Oh, come oh, on. Hey, oh, hey, no, seriously. That no, was his wife. Yeah, come on. It was on. his wife. Someone did that He's, to... Um, I'm not kidding. I thought it was his mum. Someone did that to Chris really? Williams. Put your on glasses the, on. Someone did that to <laughs> On the senior... T- he won a tournament to Africa and someone said, the TV guy said, oh, it's great that your mum could come out on TV. And he said, well, actually, that's my wife. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just put my foot in. No, it was his wife. But she, there were Sorry. a couple of great things on Twitter when she, oh, was, yeah. she was like completely yeah. freaking out oh. when he was... Yeah. <laughs> you sure his mum wasn't there too and I've just got it mixed up? Let's hope so. Let's hope Maybe. So. <laughs> anyway, so from the Australian perspective there. There goes Corey Connors invite to the yeah. Australian Open. <laughs> <laughs> to cap that tournament, uh, Matt Jones uh, and Aaron Baddeley shared 30th at 7 under 30, so 13 behind um, Corey Connors, the winner. Uh, Matt Jones moved up to 102 on the FedEx list, and importantly, Aaron Baddeley, who had a great interview on a Melbourne radio station last uh, last week, said he wanted to get into, the, A, the top 30 so he can get all the starts next year, but... He wants to play President's Cup, Aaron Baddeley, and he's moved up to number 60 in the FedEx Cup ranking, so he's uh, trending in the right direction. He reckons he's... Is he a chance to make the President's Cup? He says if he can win one, he'll have a case to take to what he said as Captain Ernie. He'll want to knock on his door, but he needs to win one. So at the moment, he's not much of a chance, but uh, the way he's trending, you just never know. Going pretty well, Bads. He's, you know, yeah. with limited status this year for the yeah, first time he, in a long time. Has he got his card back for next year? Pretty he, much. He has he made now. enough to... Yeah. yeah, he has. He's done enough to <clears> keep his amazing. Card. That's a great effort. He was done at the end of last year, wasn't he? It's in, it? It is, and he was. And it's amazing that he's done it by the start of April. I mean, he's still got four months, really, to, you know, pad his, pad his wallet and get even higher. So Is it the most bizarre career? Not the, mo- not the oh. most bizarre, but when he won that Australian Open at Royal Sydney, no one could have believed it. Someone had said... The kid's going to be statistically the worst ball striker on the US Tour his whole career. You couldn't have imagined that. Not that he's going to win four times as well. Well, uh, no, you would have thought he'd won more. You, yeah, you'd think but he'd have won more. Essentially, he's been the best. No, not with those, not with those numbers, I mean. Oh, he's but been the, the way be- he won in 99 and what he, he did when he was an amateur. He's, sure. been, he's been the best putter and the worst ball striker on the US Tour for his whole career, essentially. I wonder if you look back and, and rue that two or three, <laughs> four-year period when he tried to change his swing and stack and tilt and all that no, stuff. No, it wasn't that. Yeah. He went, he went to. He always played with a shut face, and the release he had, the, the proper release for a shut face player, which was just born out of instinct, because that's the way he'd always played. And he went and saw Ledbetter, David Ledbetter, who I remember watching him play at the Oak Hill PGA 2002. And David said, "Well, yeah, we're trying to get his face more open at the top, which is really 
dangerous to change. If you change that at the top, you've got to completely change what you're doing down in the ball. You completely change the release of the club. Really dangerous thing to mess with. And he hasn't really played as well as anyone thought he was going to play ever since, really. Mm. You can't blame a guy for wanting to improve if his stats are that bad as a ball striker. Well, they they weren't that bad. Maybe he just pulled the wrong rein. Well, they weren't that bad. When he, was, he was only 20 years old. I mean, yeah, that's I think, true. Yeah. That's so, true. you know, he was 20 years old. Lynch had been his only coach. He won two Australian Opens. Four months after he won the second Open, he's he's out and there's a new t- famous new teacher. And and that's the head scratcher, isn't it? Yeah, like, I think. And the second, he actually won tournaments with the stack and tilt guys. What's interesting is though, a lot of these people, if that happens to them from a, a ball striking perspective, their their short game goes or their putting actually deserts them because it's got so much pressure on them. But his his putting's been amazing yeah, his the whole way been through. Amazing, yeah, that's I mean, good. you know, if he if he'd been a well, I mean, who, I mean, the fact was, I mean, everyone's game melts together in different ways. But you know, if he'd been an average putty, you never would have heard of him. But yeah. you know, if he'd been a better ball striker, he would have been the best player in the world. So Curtis Luck uh, made the cut and had an absolute nightmare in the third round and uh, had an MDF, one of those magical MDFs. Yeah, that's an awful system when you miss the third cut, yeah, the, the secondary cut because yeah. of daylight, I think, isn't it? Is that why they did that? Yeah, or? well, too many people. How many guys made, made the, the cut? cut. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So, I mean, they do it for television purposes primarily, yeah. which is never – That's an awful deal, that thing. It does. Yeah. Well, you don't get a chance to, to push up in that last round, do you? That's right. But, I mean, he does get a check. A lot of the guys yeah. – so don't get that opportunity either. So uh, that brings us a sort of neatly to make Corey Connors the 87th and last person in the field at Augusta National this week. And here we are. It's Masters Week, Clates. It's the one week in sport, in golf, I should say, that actually captures the sporting uh, attention more generically. Like it, it's, it transcends sport. It's the Masters. I know it's not your favourite. No, I think it's amazing, but, you know, I They've done an incredible job of promoting that event. Peter Thompson called it the greatest con job in sports, I think, <laughs> which is kind of typical, typically Peter, but it's a genius marketing exercise. No, you couldn't have, you couldn't co- have sold Coca-Cola or Mercedes or McDonald's better than they've sold that, 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 that golf tournament. What's the con job? Well, the con job—no, it's not. A con, well, the con job is that it's the most important tournament in golf. It's the greatest tournament in golf. Bobby Jones would have been horrified, I think, to know that this was more important than people saw this as being more important than the either the U.S. Open or the British Open. I mean, clearly, it was never meant to be bigger than those tournaments. So I'm like you. I sort of <clears throat> I, I oscillate a little bit between the Open and the Masters as being the major for me. I know that you are Open, but I, I I say to both of you that. In the eyes of the average sports fan or just news consumer, the Masters is easily the number one. Yeah, I was, I was just talking to Ashley Brown about it yesterday, and he said, is this the grand final of golf? And I said, well, no. But in a way, it's almost the preliminary finals, the two opens, and the PGA is the that's seven and eight playing the elimination final <laughs> compared to <laughs> – but, yeah, it's an amazing – Marketing, yeah, I think, it, I, I think to, to, to have the world believe this is the most important, and, and the British Open to me is the most important and the most compelling because it goes to a different course every year. It's the best form of golf. The ball bounces on the ground. It's windy. It's you know, players have got to deal with all sorts of conditions. You know, not none of the other, none of the other three or four, if you count the Players Championship, match what the Open offers up. I don't think. How is it as a week for you, Matty? Oh, they're the two for me, and I think 
the lead up to each, I'm as excited for yeah. for each. But I must say the the week long replays that Fox show of the Masters versus the Open Championship, I, I like watching the old Masters just because it's the same golf course. You see the same shots you've seen. You've seen you see the epic fails. You see the great shots, and I think that's why the average sports fan likes it. They don't have to think. Oh, where's this being played? They know the golf course. They know what it looks like. It's green. It's got pine trees. It's hilly. <laughs> it's <laughs> which is, in a, in a sense, one of the. I'm not saying the Masters as a disservice to golf, but one thing it does is emphasise in the mind of the unthinking pundit that green is important. And we've yep. seen in Melbourne, it hasn't rained for six yep. months. The golf courses are brown. Mm. They're no worse for being brown. They're mm. still beautiful to play. Yeah. And the perfection of the – the emphasis on the perfection of the maintenance where every member goes to their golf club and thinks, why can't we have bunkers like that? Mm. Well, if you had a $60 million maintenance budget, you probably could. I've been yeah. listening to an, another couple of podcasts about that. This coming week, not this one in our Masters week, but the week after, is the week that superintendents around the world get the most complaints from the membership. Yeah, mm. yeah it's just – which is it's quite <clears throat> ridiculous, really. But Metro put a great tweet out, actually. I did with a with an aerial photo of the brown fairway, saying how beautiful it is. Which it? was a photo taken by Lucas Michelle, Lucas's drone. Ah. Lucas took that photo, which was and the, oh, I played Metro. We, in fact, Lucas and I played yesterday, and the, the course looks and it's terrific, yeah. playing playing beautifully. No yeah, doubt, it's, it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the brown is great, which is why the open's so important. You can go back to that open at Hoylake that was dead brown. Yeah. It was fantastic, but you know, the, the Augusta. Emphasizes this perfection is great, green is great, flowers are great, white sand is great, consistent lies are great. All the things that drive up the cost of golf that actually aren't that important at all. And it's fine for Augusta to do it, but it doesn't mean that all golf should be like that. All right, Clayton, you've baffled us over the years with trivia questions. And I know you're going to talk about a couple of uh, amazing stories about Australians. Do you want to do that first or do you want to? want to be subject to some of the research that I've done because I never normally do this, but I knew you were coming. Well, well, do, well you can come out with your research first and I'll give you the great the, story about two Aussies. Two of the, the more Masters. disappointing parts of the history of Australian golf and, and Augusta. All right. So, Matty, you just jump <clears> in. I'll just any, be a bystander. Any, no, jump in at any time you like. I'm, this, we'll start easy and get hard, Clates. So this is going to really test you. This, uh, who won the first green jacket as a prize? The first green jacket as a prize? So you're saying Horton Smith... Didn't get a green jacket. Correct. Gene Sarazen got a green jacket. No. Matty, go. Oh, I know this one. Go Who's for that? it. Go. Sam Sneed. Sam Sneed. Correct. Was it that late? Yeah, it was. That, that's impressive from you. SEN said it yesterday. So when was Kevin Bartlett right? ran with it. <clears throat> you right? may have even seen it. 1949. I was going to say 49, 47 or 49. Okay, yeah. 49, the first <laughs> green jacket. Oh, that's impressive from you, Matty, even Very if you good. pilfered your knowledge elsewhere. That's well, good. How else do you get knowledge? <laughs> <laughs> well, stick in the 1940s, Clates. Three years the the uh, Masters wasn't played because of the Second World yep. War, and the course was given over to what? Cows. And? No, cows. And turkeys. Cows, cows and, and turkeys. turkeys. Can yeah. you believe <laughs> the gobbling and mooing and everything going on around? I read an article this morning that they weren't even sure it was going to reopen after the war. Is that right? Really? Oh, yeah. Well, that was, it was tough. I mean, yeah, the times were tough for Augusta. I mean, everyone you know thinks of Augusta as the wealthiest place in the world, but- I mean, Mackenzie was never paid his, his final bill. Um, Wasn't he? And, no, he was not. not and, in fact, he was so annoyed with him, he sent Marion Hollands over because who, 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 he couldn't afford to go from California across the country. So Marion Hollands, who was a wealthy woman who essentially founded and built Cypress Point, he sent her in his place. 
Because they weren't paying him. They weren't paying him. Sorry, Hazy, to interrupt. (laughs) No. There's a lot of old photos of Augusta National going around on Twitter, Mm. and it's a much more open, almost linksy style course. Not not so much the boundaries, but how how did that evolve? Well, the idea was to replicate the golf at St Andrews. Well, they... Hootie Johnson was who planted that awful forest of trees down the right-hand side of the 11th hole and took away all that strategy of driving right to come into the back left pin. They've jammed all those trees in up on the top of the hill at 17. And, but it's still a really open golf course. I mean, there aren't – whilst there are two examples of it, most of the holes are trees. Aren't they? You know, it's a wide open golf course yeah. with the trees far off to the sides and away from the golf. Because Jones understood that golf was about things on the ground, not things in the air. In fact, Jones hated trees. One of his famous quotes to Alistair Cook was, I don't see any need for a tree on a golf course ever. So Jones was no lover of trees. And he understood they played a limited role in golf, but they added the on a on a parkland setting, they added a beauty to the golf course, they, but keep them away from the golf. And, and, and Jones would disapprove strongly of the trees on 11 and 17 that got added in the, in the 90s or the, perhaps the 2000s, but he would be a big disapprover of those trees. So just so we know when we're watching, what, where did the trees get added on 11? So Way to the right. Okay. So was it Farsi in those trees in, in the women's amateur on the right of 11 where she pitched it out down the hill? That all used no, to be fairway over there. That was Cup Show, I think. That was Cup Show. Who, who pitched it down to the front? of the, No, it was Farsi. Farsi? It was Farsi, yeah. Because Cup Show hit, hit, hit played from the left across the pond. That, was all, that, was that used to all be fairway. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> so basically behind the 17th, the 14th green, yeah. the 17th yeah. green. That was all fairway, I think. Yeah. Uh, all right, so there are three bridges, Matty. This one's for you. I reckon that this one's beneath Clates, so I'm going to go to you. Sorry about <laughs> It'll that. It'll be above me. Three bridges on the back nine. Name them, and I'll give you some bonus points if you can tell me their significance. I'm a Swilkin guy. Um, there's a Hogan Bridge, isn't there? Bridge. Hogan Bridge. That's for Ben Hogan's uh, record 274 in 1953. Is there a Sarazen Bridge? There is a Sarazen Bridge for the magnificent... On Albatross on 15, which was in 1935, the shot heard around the world, which is the worst phrase in the history of sport. Yeah. And there's one more. Help me out, Clay. There's, there's a Nelson Bridge, isn't there? There is a Nelson Bridge. Well done, boys. On the 13th tee, and that's to <coughs> honour his play on the on the 12th and 13th um, two, when three. he won in 1937. He went 2-3, didn't he? Yeah, he did. And, uh, beat Ralph Gordall, I think. Was it Ralph Gordall he beat? No, no, yeah, no. was Ralph that, Gordall. See, this is why you're the master of this sort of stuff, Clay. <laughs> All right. Uh, in fact, Gordler might have gone five six. <laughs> Did he? To two, yeah, it was a big swing on those two holes. Yeah. He dropped six shots. That was a big swing. I might be wrong with Gordler, but yeah, Nelson certainly went two three. Wow. No, no one's heard of this guy, and Clayton knows his. Who score. Ralph Gordler? <laughs> I don't know. He knew us over. He was a gun. He was a beam Baker fence. David Yuvalo. How long's Magnolia Lane, Clayton? Oh, four hundred meters, but I don't know. Three hundred and thirty yards. Okay. Did you know that this is not on my trivia list? This is just me speaking. Crap. When they had the big ice storm, um, which I think was 2014 from memory, they actually lost one of the magnolias and they couldn't stomach it. They couldn't face the thought of having uh, a gap um, on magnolia lane. So they actually imported from I don't know where, but they actually got in an equal height a magnolia one. and whacked it in at some exorbitant expense. That's, that's Augusta National to a T right there. It's just, it's just unbelievable. In fact, while I'm on that sort of stuff, this isn't a trivia thing because you couldn't possibly know this, but a Forbes report in 2015 gave these figures about the, the revenue for the Masters. $115 million in revenue um, for the week, which is extraordinary within itself. $29 million profit. 
Their revenue breakdown was merchandise $47.5 million, tickets 34 and three quarter. This is US. International TV rights was $25 million and concessions, all the food and drinks, $7.75 million. Is that all the TV rights were? Is that- this, is, this is the big thing. Can't believe that. Did you know that. that CBS and the Masters have never traded money? There's no contract on it. They they have a one-year handshake a one-year deal, deal yeah. and it's never money changes hands because neither of them want to make money off it. And that was the original plan back in the day. Okay. So that CBS has got all this unbelievable technology in the ground and in the trees around Augusta National, but they don't have an, an any at any stage they've never had a contract beyond the next Masters. And there are, and they limit the ads severely in America, don't they? Was it four ads an hour or something? And that's why now, because you know they they have <laughs> yeah. they've got that relationship, and they're not making money out of it. It's just, but they could make. Forbes estimated that they're leaving somewhere around one hundred and twenty million dollars annually on the table. Where the mm. the 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 club could sell it for one hundred and twenty million dollars if they put it on the open market. Each year, they could quadruple yeah. the amount they make yeah. on food if they had AFL prices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If they sold sandwiches, what are the sandwiches? Two or three dollars each. Yeah. Mind you, they're not very good sandwiches. I have to say, oh, but for two bucks, your expectations aren't high. I'd happily pay seven dollars for a ham and cheese baguette from Shanti Golf Club with yeah, then, then that rubbish American bread. All right, Clates. How much did Jones and Roberts, Clifford and Bobby, pay for? The 365 acres that became Augusta National. Oh, no idea. I'm guessing two or three hundred thousand dollars. Seventy thousand dollars. Seventy thousand dollars I paid in nineteen. Right in the middle of the depression. depression. Yeah, yeah. Failed businesses left, right, and centre. They stepped in and bought it. And obviously, we're still struggling for cash. You mentioned. Well, they could. They were, I mean, they were going around the country begging for members. Mm. They couldn't get anyone to join. It's amazing. It's yeah. absolutely amazing. Yeah, it's now, an incredible the story. But what what that place has turned into has been amazing. My last one of these trivia questions. There are three plaques on the back nine or fountains attached to them. Anyone want to have a crack at where and who they honour? There's one in the trees on the right of 13. Is that the Nicholas one? Uh, no, there is a Nicholas one, but it's behind the 16 green near 17T. Okay, what's the one up in the trees right of 13 there? What's that one? Right of 13. Uh, there's one. Or is that just a drinking fountain? It's just a drinking fountain. There's a plaque. Or are you going to get this, Matty? No, no there's chance. A, there's an Arnold Palmer one near the 16th tee, which I've not seen. Apparently, it's there. But there's a big record fountain. It's called Left of 17 Green. Is that the one you mean? It's got all the uh, the course records and the Masters winners in, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. engraved on Down it. There. How about that? Amazing. It's not bad from you, Clay. So I reckon you've, you've done pretty well there. Yeah, not that well, but they're pretty obscure questions, Hazy, in fairness. Well, I couldn't bring out you the, the bog standard ones. I'll give you one more. And I've got a few more sitting here. There's only been um, a handful of people, six in fact, who've birdied the last hole, the 72nd hole, not a playoff hole, to win the tournament. Can you name me any of them? Phil. Art Wall. Good work, Matty. Phil, Phil Mickelson in 04. Art, Art Wall, Wall in 1959. 1959. That's Arnold, outstanding. Arnold Palmer in 1960. Uh, great work, Clates. Um, so there's the three others. Sandy Lyle. Sandy Lyle in 88. Oh, out of the bunker. Out of the bunker. Are we, uh, can we have a higher or lower? After or before 88? Uh, there's one before and one after. Swartz will beat it, didn't he? Uh, he won by two. He won by two. Um, mm. Went by one. Um, O'Meara. O'Meara, 98. This is oh, immense from you well guys. Um, before 88. So it was before 88. Gives a decade. It was 1978. Oh, Gary Player, of course. Yeah. Gary Player. That's really impressive from you guys. I promise that the listeners that there's been no... Clates put five of those six up on the board. Art Wall was a good one, Clates. I like that one. 
Good. How did you know that one so well? Uh, well, I, 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 I will birdie five of the last six holes. <laughs> it was a safe guess he birdied the 18th. Yeah. Uh, right, tell us your story about the two Australian guys who well, could have, ha- would have, should have. Harry Berwick, who was a great amateur player, won the New Zealand Open in 1954, I think, and got an invitation to play at Augusta and was too embarrassed. He, had, he was a bricklayer, Sydney bricklayer in the 50s, so presumably he didn't have enough money to well, he didn't have enough money to fund the trip himself and was too embarrassed to ask. Wow. So he never told anybody. Oh. Never so went. his invite just basically sat in his house? He never went. Wow. Yep. Never told anybody, never went. When did, how did it come to light? Oh, years later. I think he told someone. Wow. And how it came. And I, one I'd never thought of, Simon Madulski, just, we were just in the office before, Doug Backley, of course, won the amateur in, British amateur in 954 and never went either. Couldn't afford to go and didn't go. It was more of a priority for him to be in Britain as opposed to going to the States. Well, I think he was probably in Britain as part of the team, part of a team, Commonwealth team or something. Yeah. So they always got invites, did they? The amateur right champion. Yeah. Jones yeah. always invited the British amateur yeah. champion. So Backley, uh, you know, Simon's argument, Simon Madolsky's argument was, well, it probably wasn't that big a deal in the 50s. Mm. This was just an invitational tournament at Bobby Jones's course and it the Masters in nineteen fifty in the mid fifties probably wasn't what it is now. In fact, it certainly wasn't. Oh, no. Wasn't on. Well, well, there, there was no TV in Australia, so no one had seen it on TV. You know, that was probably was it Arnie that sort of put it on the map in sixty? Probably Arnie. Or when the, mind you, before that fifty four, there was a Snead and Hogan playoff. So you know, the epic two best players in the world playing off and Snead winning by a shot. So that you know that was a pretty epic moment in golf. Mm. So it wasn't like it was an insignificant tournament. It's unbelievable. The history of Augusta National in, what are we, 85 years now is is incredible. It really is incredible. Yeah, the good and the bad. You know, yeah, absolutely. You know, the Clifford Roberts saying is, who ran the place for years, as long as I'm in charge of this tournament, there'll be white men playing golf and black men carrying the bag. Yep. Yeah, so it's had its ugly, racist it's Southern re- American past. It's as past recent as uh, probably, I want to say, 20 years ago now that Hootie, Hootie uh, Johnson was – Adamant there'd never be a female member. Well, he had that fight with Martha Burke. I don't, I'm not sure. Was he adamant there wouldn't be no female member or, or he wouldn't be he held to the point of a gun by Martha Burke into introducing a woman into the club? <laughs> Maybe it was like that. But he basically, but either way, he basically was, said over his dead body. Yeah. Either way, you know, it's a club for wealthy, privileged white men. And Again, what we're talking about before, women's golf, you know, golf needs to be better than that, I think. Mm. And, and it's a private club. It can do what it wants. But it's a massive part of the image of golf is Augusta. It looks like a wealthy, privileged club for white men. And do we think there'd be a black member if it wasn't for what happened at Shoal Creek in 1990 when that whole racist thing blew up, when the owner of Shoal Creek, the Wayne Grady PGA, mm-hmm. you know, so, so that forced the PGA Tour to announce that it wouldn't go to clubs that restricted membership anyway. So Cypress Point was lost because they won't let women in and Butler National is a no-women's club. And so Augusta had to introduce a coloured American and, and then finally women. and But it needs more of it. You know, there ought to be 50 women who are members of Augusta. Of course. You know, more. Absolutely. Well, we're going to have the good fortune after this next break uh, to talk to someone on the ground. Evan Priest, the AAP golf writer. You'll all read his stuff over the next week or so if you haven't already. Uh, we're going to talk to him on the other side of the break. Continue our Big Masters preview. 
The Golf Australia website is now the place to go to look up your handicap and so much more. Whether you're out and about on your phone or in the office trying to avoid work, just go to golf.org.au and punch your golf link number into the box at the top of the homepage. Who knows, maybe that last round was just good enough to put you in single figures. While you're on the site, check out the daily golf results at your club, view our course index for up-to-date ratings, read the latest golf news from home and abroad, listen to Australian golf podcasts and interviews, and watch video tournament highlights or tips to improve your game. It's everything a golf tragic could want. Visit golf.org.au today, the home of Australian golf. Welcome back to Inside the Ropes, and uh, we're delighted to be able to welcome Evan Priest, who's the golf writer extraordinaire these days for not only Australian Associated Press, which is where many of you have uh, read his work, but also with Australian Golf Digest. I, I'm, am I missing anything, Evan? Have you got other sort of oars in the water over there at Augusta National this week? <laughs> I do, mate. I, I contribute to Golf Magazine in the US and, and Golf Monthly in the UK, but don't worry about that for now. It's all about Australia. Is this a Murdoch-style takeover you're sort of implementing? I'm trying to take over Golf Media one publication at a time, mate. We'll see how we go. <laughs> Very good. Well, mate, we've uh, been threatening to get you on for a while, and we're absolutely chuffed that we can do it on Masters Week. Uh, you're speaking to us on your Monday night, having spent your first day out on course, uh, not only with the Australian contenders, but uh, checking out the, the lie of the land and also some of the other big names. What can you report back to us from your your, your first day of Masters Week 2019? Mate, the thing that strikes me best is that it, all the Aussies actually got here quite early. Jace normally likes to get here on a Friday before Masters Week, so he's already had about 27, maybe even 36 holes of practice in, as well as some, some short game practice, because he hasn't been quite happy with his short game, which is usually world-class. Um, Scotty sort of was, was watching the radar, and he actually came up um, for a reconnaissance mission with his you know, sort of new caddy, John Lamonte, who hasn't seen Augusta in about 11 years, to sort of get him up to speed with how Scotty likes to play the course and that was two weeks ago he jetted up from the Bahamas and mate Leash got in yesterday and, and has played two nine-hole practice rounds already and, and after a quick visit from Dennis McDade a couple of weeks ago Leash is absolutely flushing it so I expect big things from all our Aussies and it's, it's really great to see them sort of start to learn the course this year. So I guess the the thing there is you sound like you're upbeat about Jason Day's chances already. How's his back on a scale of one to ten? What sort of level of injury is he rocking with this week? Uh, if 10 being the worst, it's it's nowhere near that. It's something along the lines of a four, you know, a three or a four. It's not his most serious back injury. It's certainly not to the scale of you know 2016 when he pulled out of those two FedEx Cup playoffs events and then uh, couldn't come down to Australia. It's definitely not that bad. It was just a bit of wear and tear. He, I, I don't know how much you know diligence he paid with with his rehabilitation and his physiotherapy on the West Coast earlier this year. He spent about six weeks out over there and. Um, you know, by the time he got to the Florida swing, it was just wear and tear, and, and the back sort of caved in a little bit. Um, but now he's back on track with his with his rehab and his attention to detail with the nutrition and the soft tissue stuff. So I think it's going to be a lot better from here. He's back, Jace. Evan, has he given you an indication as to what the issue is? Because it seems to be sort of two steps forward, one step back. Is, is it something that he can actually get a hold of and get properly fixed, or is this something he's going to deal with forever? It's something he's going to deal with forever, and he sort of accepted that a long time ago, that he's going to be more of a Ferrari than you know a diesel engine. He's going to go fast, he's going to go hard and try and get as many wins as possible in that time. He knows there's going to be 
wear and tear um, in that sort of style of play. But I guess it's not just Jason Day. That's a modern player, isn't it? They, they swing at 120 miles an hour and they try to make as many birdies as they can. They're trying to, um, they're, they're sort of here for a good time and not a long time. <laughs> and it's not limited to, it's like, like I just said, it's not limited to Jason. It's players like Justin Thomas and Brooks Kepka. you know, they're, they're loading up on their swings. Xander Shoffley comes to mind as well. Um, it's something he's going to have to manage throughout his career. He's going to be have to, be very diligent with his attention to detail with his physiotherapist and nutrition and and workout he's also going to have to be um, you know more sort of focused with his preparation and his practice it's got to be efficient practice and not just you know volume practice so you're right in saying that he's going to have to sort of you know pay close attention to that for the for the rest of his career Evan I read what Nick Faldo said a couple of days ago about Jason looking like he always goes 100% at every iron shot that's the way he's always looked to me but you know, Faldo was saying he thought he needed to introduce a little more nuance into his game and finesse and not hit the ball so hard with his irons. And I can't imagine that does his back much good. No, no. You know, swinging hard wouldn't do anyone's back any good, I suppose. And and he does he does go hard at his irons. And, and he's, but he's definitely trying to work on that with Colin Swatton this year. They, they made a point when they went up to um, Palm Springs in California at the beginning of the year that they're going to start to work on some tempo and some rhythm with his irons and sort of working on those hold-off shots. Jace has actually never been one to fade the golf ball, but he knows that's going to be imperative if he wants to hit fairways and hit greens on the PGA Tour. So he's really been working on crafting different you know, degrees of fading his irons and his drives. Um, but yeah, Fowler, I guess, is, is right in a way that Augusta is, is a second-shot golf course and it's a thinking man's golf course. And you can't just be going having full clubs into every green because it just doesn't work that way. And, and, and the champions that we've seen here are the ones that are able to you know, hit that three-quarter shot and slow it down to about 80, 80% or 75%. So Faldo said he would like to see more soft shots and half shots from Jason, but a guy with Jason's talent, there's, there's not much he, he really can't do. So if he dedicates his mind to working on those softer shots, there's no way he, he can't have success here. One last one on Jason before we press on to the other Aussies, Evan. Uh, I think you had a chance to walk around a few holes with Cole Swatton today, his coach, and obviously... Uh, former caddy. Um, what's the dynamic like between those two these days? The dynamic is fantastic. Um, I, I spoke with, with Swato about that and it's kind of like uh, for, for a, a very horrible analogy. If you're hanging around with your wife every day, you wouldn't notice that she's put on weight you know, gradually, <laughs> would you? So oh, you're, you're treading into very dangerous ter- territory here. Uh, yeah, and vice versa. The wife wouldn't notice the husband has gradually put on weight over time, but if you're able to take a step back and, and see that person only you know, intermittently every few weeks, you start to pick up on certain things that you never would have. So if anything, the fact that Cole stepped away from the caddying duties and, and, and coaches him and only sees him every few weeks now, he definitely sees little nuances in Jason's swing and sort of he's able to correct them quite quickly, whereas he wouldn't notice that when he was caddying on the PGA Tour. So you know, there was a little bit of pain when they first split. It was obviously emotional and we saw the scenes of the 2017 BMW Championship but it's worked out best in the long run, and, and Jason's got a good dynamic with the two new caddies. He's got Luke Ridden and Rita Badibasaga. Um, so it, it all seems to be going well, and, and Swato's really embracing that coaching role. I've, I've sort of never seen someone so passionate about coaching, and I had no idea he was that passionate about the swing and, and just golf in general. Matty, what do you reckon? Did Ev sort of cover his tracks there? He's not going to get a yellow card? Oh, no, he, uh, he, he backed up the track quickly <laughs> enough, I think. Yeah, and no, I think he just got away with it. Uh, now, speaking of new caddies and, and new things, as you mentioned, John Lamonte on Adam Scott's bag, um, how, how is the 2013 champ shaping up? 
Scotty is absolutely flushing it. I uh, went out to speak to him today when he was finishing his nine-hole practice round, and he had sort of what looked like about 150 in and nearly nearly drained it. The crowd went absolutely nuts. He threw it over the pin, spun it back, and it grazed the edge. He's definitely driving it a lot better than he was last year, and that was sort of, he admits, one of the things that let him down last year was his driving, which is normally world-class. His irons are pretty sharp, and, and uh, he, he's starting to feel comfortable with the putting tweaks that he's made um, since the start of the year. So he's going to use... Um, he's going to use the core grip this week, I don't think he's going to sort of arm lock it. Um, and he's, he's, he played well at the Players' Championship with that and uh, finished tied 12th, I believe it was, and, and w- was a chance on Sunday. So he's shaping up nicely. And, and I guess when you talk to Scotty during Masters week, uh, the theme you always get is that he's just absolutely relaxed. You know, it's, it, There's just not that stress and anxiety anymore of trying to break through. And he's not dealing with those questions about when is an Australian finally going to win the Masters. And on Sunday, I saw him tee off um, for, a, for a practice round with his father, and it was just, it looked like, you know, father and son having a great day out on a Sunday afternoon. It just so happened to be that the golf course they were playing at was Augusta National. How are, um, so, sorry, how were Phil's putting yips? <laughs> I, did, I didn't actually see them play after the first sort of first fairway, but. Um, Adam did comment on the, uh, the 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 putter that he was using at the time. It looked like a bit of a frying pan. So, I've heard I've asked Scotty before that Phil Phil used to use um, the side saddle putting method, I believe. Yeah, he's a dodgy putter. He's a pretty good player. I mean, he's not pro, obviously, but he's a good player. But he's not the world's best putter, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, mate. From from I've never seen Phil play a single shot except for what I saw yesterday. But he piped a two yard draw right up the guts on the first fairway, and. Uh, and, and from the members' tees, he was actually sort of 30, 40 yards past Adam, so he still gets it out there. Evan, we haven't talked about Cam Smith yet. He's the uh, he's the hottest player on the course as of uh, last time they played, finishing uh, the way he did last year. How's uh, how's he shaping up this year? Yeah, he's you know he's he's sort of worked out how how to do Masters Week Cam Smith style. Um, the first year he was he he admits that he was shitting himself quote unquote <laughs> on every shot, but now he's. <laughs> he's kind of personalised and he, he brings the family up and, and, and his father Des flies over um, from from Queensland. His mother Sharon's flown over as well and it's just a very sort of family vibe this week. He got in this morning and, and went out and played uh, nine holes before the storm hit. So he, he just sort of seems to get more comfortable each year he comes to Augusta and last year he actually absolutely lit up the back nine. He had a putt to equal the, the back nine record which is 29. He missed a short birdie putt on 18 to do that. But uh, anyone who can shoot 30 on the back nine at Augusta on a Sunday is always a good chance, aren't they? That's very true. I, I saw, there was a great story Adam Peacock did on foxsports.com.au uh, this week. Had a chat with Cam Smith. There's only one rule in the Smith household this week, apparently. No conversations about golf. And could you get any more, <laughs> could you get yeah. any, could you get any more Australian than Des and Sharon? <laughs> from no, Queensland. No, you couldn't, you couldn't get. You couldn't. You couldn't. De- Des is such an Aussie bloke. He's the one that introduced Cam to, to golf when he was, you know, only a toddler and uh, quite a handy golfer himself. I believe he's a scratch golfer at One Teamer yep. Golf Club, Royal One Teamer. And uh, <laughs> mate, you talk to him, and he just sounds like he's out of the middle of Australia. He's, he's absolutely a beast. He's a great bloke, Des. I think he doesn't. He's not a big fan of American beer, from what I can make out. I think he misses when he goes away. Misses the chance to sneak in a couple of forexy type products. American is that? Oh yeah, you know those Queenslanders, mate. They love the lolly water. <laughs> is anyone a fan of American beer? 
No, but you're going to give us like a low, no, no. lowbrow joke here no, no, about no, no, canoes no. or anything no, like that? No, 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 I'll just... <laughs> I was about to say, I, I've, I, I was wondering if someone was going to bring up the canoe joke and Bud Light. Yeah. I'm glad you won't. Uh, no, I think we're going to leave it alone. I think people can uh, put, put the pieces together themselves there. Uh, now, another one who's very relaxed and has got a pretty good hold on Masters Week and what it means, Mark Leishman, who's been there a couple of times before. He's shot some incredible nine holes and he's played really well for 36 holes. He's never managed really to string it all together, although a top 20 finish last year at Augusta. What What are you... Th- Sorry, Clates. What are you talking about? He played with Scotty in the last day when he won. Yeah. Knocked he's never the- been able to string 72 holes together. What? Oh, you said string it. He's knocked in the water at 15, otherwise he was going to win. Uh, oh, I... Sorry, how many times has he won? Well, you're you're underplaying his performance. Oh no, I'm talking. I'm, I'm well, maybe I am, but I'm talking him up. I really rate his chances. Yeah, no, he's terrific. Highly, in fact, <laughs> when we come to make some sort of you know stupid prediction later, I might have him and Smith ahead of Day and Scott. I think. Good. So well, we'll just you guys make a cute couple, but as soon as you finished uh, bickering, uh, Leishman is definitely the the, the former Australian <laughs> heading into the Masters. He's the only Australian <laughs> who's won this season. Uh, he's, he's had three top four finishes this year, and he's just like I said earlier. Um, Dennis McDay was over for the Players Championship, and then had a couple of sessions with Leash back in Virginia Beach after the Players, and just absolutely got him got him flush in the ball. And it was only something as simple as Leash's stance was too sort of too narrow. Dennis widened it, and uh, and as soon as he did that, he was starting to flush it again. And and um, he's just he's just so relaxed on the big stage. He, he's not overawed by the Masters or what it means. I agree with you, Hazy. He, he needs to hand in a 72-hole performance. He's had such brilliant stretches here, but hasn't you know been able to string it all together. And even last year, he was definitely taking it to Patrick Reeves through 36 holes. Uh, and but he's sort of never been in better form than, than he arrives at Augusta this year. He's just he's in a good place in his life. He's in a good place in his career, and and he's just sort of playing with house money at the moment. So I, I really. You know, he's the former Australian leading into the Masters. I expect him to, to potentially be the, the leading Australian. And speaking of Nick Faldo the other day, he said he's definitely my top Australian and in one of the 20 players that Faldo thinks can absolutely win this thing. And I will bow, I will defer to, to Clates. As from 2013 when he, he played 71 good holes maybe at Augusta National, um, <laughs> that he's he has been, for, for the longest time, Adam Scott was the, you know, had perennially seemed to have the lowest combined aggregate score mm. of the four, master, four major championships. I'm sure if we did those numbers that Leash would be that person since that, basically since that time. He's uh, he's barely put a foot wrong in majors. And, you know, we saw him come close at, at Augusta. We saw him come close at St. Andrews, St. Andrews yeah. uh, and another couple of occasions too in majors. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty confident and pretty bullish about his chances this week. Yeah, and you, and you look at, you know, even the British Open, he's trending nicely. He sort of always seems to finish in the top five or six players at the Open Championship. So he's definitely the sort of player that's capable of performing on the big stage, and he's just got that laid-back attitude that really suits the majors. And he's just got, especially around Augusta, I've never seen anyone more impressive with the long irons in person than Mark Leishman. He's able to shape the ball both ways, which is so important at Augusta National, um, particularly with the long irons. And there's really no weakness in his game. It used to be sort of driving. He admits that driving was his Achilles heel in the past, but he's put that new Callaway Epic Flash driver in the bag late last year, and since then he says... His misses are going straight up. His good shots are absolutely, you know, pummeled down the fairway, and he's picked up about ten to fifteen yards. So, it's kind of it's a scary thought for his competitors. If, if Mark Leishman's driving the ball well, look out. Evan, what's the weather forecast for the week? It makes the draw important. Uh, you said there was a storm this afternoon. What are we looking at later in the week? The forecast is a bit up and down at the moment, Maddie. It's um, we're actually anticipating tomorrow, which is Tuesday, 
here at Augusta to be completely washed out. Um, Friday looks to be pretty wet as well, but the rest of the week looks pretty pretty sound. So I think we're going to have one of those off and on wet weeks at Augusta that Hazy would have experienced in his days covering the Masters. I don't think it's going to be problematic or one of those kind of you know disastrous Masters. So uh, it's just going to be a matter of you know dealing with the conditions the following day, um, coming out on Friday knowing it's going to play soft, and then sort of having it firm up with that sub air under the greens on on Saturday and Sunday. Ev, what's the what's the uh, I guess the feel of the locker room and from the spectators or, or hang on sorry the patrons about the fifth? Uh, you, <laughs> I take it you've wandered down and had a look at the new uh, amendments to the teeing area. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If you speak to the players, and Scotty was pretty pretty poignant on this, speaking speaking to him today, he said that the the new tee on five sort of forces your hand for for those longer players who hit a past three hundred three ten. Whereas Adam used to have to make a decision every time he got to the fifth tee, was he going to hit three wood and go to the fat part of the fairway or chew a bit more off with the driver? But now he absolutely just has to hit the driver. So if anything, it's it's less thinking for for most of the players on the fifth tee. Um, it, it's still only it's it's a tougher tee shot, but it's you know and, and a, a longer club into the into the green. But um, I don't think it's going to be too much of a, a hole that decides too much at Augusta National this week. Clayton, what's what's your take on the fifth hole? Like, it, you know, it's just another example of the course being lengthened. It's been, it's had basically a kilometre put on it in the in the past generation. Well, it's the longest, hardest par four on the front nine. It's a really you know, incredibly difficult green. Long's no good. A big false front at the front. It's kind of reminiscent of St Andrews a little bit. But yeah, it's just long. It's just you've just got to wail away. I mean, it's the problem with the ball. The ball goes too far. So they've, I mean, they've literally bought up the road and moved the tee out onto the, onto the road, right, Evan? I mean, it's out on Berkman's Road, isn't it? Yeah. What, what used to be absolutely the roads. Yeah. So it shows the the insanity of the modern game that you've got to start. I mean, Royal Melbourne, if they want, can go and spend five million dollars and buy the two houses behind the twelfth tee and move it back fifty yards. But Augusta's the only place in the world that's can afford to kind of move their golf course with the equipment. So, you know, you, you talked about, you know, Leash's driver going 15 yards further. At what point do someone pull the manufacturers up and say, this is ridiculous? Mm. What else has happened around it's, the course? It's kind of funny. Some, Sorry, if you go. Some of the golf riders in the media centre, they're all chatting that, you know, it's Augusta National is the most powerful body in the world of golf, and it's going to be up to them, if, you know, whether whatever your stance is on the ball and, and, uh, and lengthening of courses, but... You're right, Clay. How often and how many times can you buy more property around Augusta and how big can Augusta get before someone says, I think the problem is actually the ball? So you look at some of the property they bought. They bought property behind the fifth tee to create that new fifth tee. Um, there's talk about the, the 13th tee being lengthened even further in the future. Um, I just I just kind of scared for Augusta Country Club, which sits beside the 13th hole. What's going to be left of that in about 10 years? Yeah. Well, they bought that land from the Augusta Country Club, didn't they? They have, yes. They already bought that land. Yep. Yeah, and of course Augusta is the one tournament that could just throw a bucket of balls in the first tee and say play with those boys. Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I, I've mentioned yep. that last year. The control ball. This is if we're ever going to have a control ball demo. It's, strangely enough, it's going to be at the Masters. So it's uh, it's a fascinating week on that front. Any other changes of note around the course, Ev? Uh, not particularly hazy from a media perspective. I guess that the uh, there's a new sort of um, black iron uh, rope and fence around the clubhouse oak where we do our interviews, but. Other than that, it looks you know, fairly similar to last year. <laughs> so that's really affecting the average punter, that one? Oh, yeah, mate. It's something you really need to know about this, Masters. Um, I, I will say, though, that the 
the course is playing firmer and faster than it typically would at this very point of the week because they had the women's event on Saturday. So some of the areas around the greens are more shaved than they would. They would typically let let it get a bit furry until about Tuesday or Wednesday night and then cut it so it's firm and fast come Thursday morning. So the players are actually getting a bit of a better scope as to how you know it's going to play, how the the greens are going to you know how fast they're going to be, and um, I think we're going to see some low scores this week. That's for sure. And of course, it wouldn't be an interview with someone about the Masters if we didn't ask you about Tiger Woods and the pandemonium that always engulfs him and shadows him around Augusta National. I saw he played a practice round this morning with uh, Fred Couples and Justin Thomas and was hitting them okay by all reports. Yeah, yeah. So I, I was at, wasn't actually out there to, to watch him because I was doing a couple of interviews with the Aussie boys. But from what I heard, he was absolutely flushing his irons. His driver looked pretty good. And uh, it's just that putter that he needs to sort of fix up. He hasn't putted well this year, certainly not the weapon that he used to wield over his competitors. Um, but yeah, you're right. He, he had a, a very late night practice round last night, come out at about five o'clock, six o'clock Sunday afternoon. And then he played with Freddie and JT this morning. And um, if you think about the hype about Tiger returning to the Masters last year, he was, I think he was something like 113th in the world or 103rd in the world. And now he's number 13 in the world. So and has won the tour championship so he's very much a, a reality of winning this thing and, and you know god forbid if he does it's just gonna, it's, it's great for golf to, to see the exposure that it would get around the world to get that 15th major if uh we're going to give our tips on the other side of the the next break but i'm going to put you on the spot and you can set the ball rolling um it's time to put your money where your mouth is so to speak and give us the uh, the priest overview of what's going to happen come monday morning australian time Oh God, it's hard to hold back the Aussie bias here, but I really think this is—it's—it's it's due for an Australian to win this thing. Um, it, it's a toss between Scotty or, or or Leash, in my opinion, as to who's going to do that. Um, but if I'm looking at you know sort of disregarding my Australian bias, I really like Paul Casey. I think Paul Casey is just in a great place in his life and his career, where he's playing with house money and he's won twice in the past 12 months. He's contending at most events. He tees it up and he played it really well at the match play. And his 65 last year on Sunday was his lowest round at, at, at the Masters. And if you speak to him, he just he feels so comfortable around this place. He knows all the shots he has to hit. And uh, he, he's just, you know, I think he's finally ready to win it. Evan Priest, that's why you're the, the best in the business and that's why you're at Augusta National this week. We really appreciate you taking the time and everyone can read your fine work uh, wherever AAP stories are disseminated and, of course, in Australian Golf Digest and your other online um missions from the states we really appreciate you taking the time to join us i know it's a busy week mate so thanks for joining us on inside the ropes well i don't know about the best in the business but i'm just happy to be in the business hazy so thanks for having me on boys i appreciate it pleasure thanks we're going to take a quick little break and come straight back after this hi i'm minji lee and i'm proud to be an ambassador for my golf australian golf's national junior program one of my favorite things about coming back to australia is seeing all the kids getting into golf my golf is every Aussie kid's first step on their golfing pathway. It's all about fun and friendship, learning golf and life skills in a safe and healthy environment. Sir, if your child is between 5 and 12 years old, be sure to find a program near you at mygolf.org.au. Well, welcome back to Inside the Ropes. Delightful to have Evan Priest join us there and he's started the ball rolling from some Masters Selections point of view. We haven't gone there yet, so Clates, I'm going to put it on you. Pick a winner, and also the John Huggin Memorial Ruffy. Well, I did. I, I did this in a podcast with Huggy and Lawrence Oregon last week, so I'm going Rory by two over Spieth, and Spieth's a Ruffy right now. 
So a bloke who's average taking out 850,000 US every time he rolls he's up to Augusta National. absolute roughy this week, Jordan Spieth. He is. He's the roughest session undies at the moment. Well, he's 172 on the FedEx Cup list this year. Yeah, I think. No, he's playing poor golf. I'm well, sure it'll better, come back. He was better last week. But he shot well, 41, 42, 31 on Saturday and then yeah. something yeah. the opposite on Sunday, something crazy. He's shown signs, but I don't think he's... Having having tipped him in my tipping competition at the Texas Open, I was watching that intently, and he did not look like the Jordan Spieth that we've come accustomed become accustomed to at Augusta National. Yeah, he's a roughie. Okay, I'll, I'll permit that. <laughs> Normally, they would be laughing you out of town, but so McElroy from two by two. McElroy by two over, over Spieth. Spieth. Yeah, Maddie. Uh, look, after listening to Evan, I'd like Leash to uh, to do what Evan thinks he's going to do. But I was thinking before this, Tommy Fleetwood. I think he's building. His, yeah, uh, I like Fleetwood. He's just got the right, uh, the right look about him, ranking what he's done. He's had a few misses. So, and in terms of a roughie, I, I thought Xander Shuffle, but then I looked at his ranking. He's not a roughie. <laughs> well, he's top ten in the world. <laughs> he's top ten in the world, but <clears throat> he's a roughie thing. for the uh, for the average punter. Yeah, Being a roughies, I loved Eddie Pepperell's tweet last week. He said, "A week from now." This is this yes. on Thursday. I'll be stood in the right-hand bunker in the first that I got you pitching out. <laughs> <laughs> He's a beauty. Yeah, we, need a, we need Eddie Pepperell to win, don't we? Yeah, it'll be oh, magnificent. He may not make it to the Australian Open if he He's does. He's never coming to the Australian Open. No, no, we missed that boat. <laughs> uh, for what it's worth, I, I think Rory McIlroy's coming into town on a, on a in a better mindset than he has previously. I think he can complete the career grand slam. I think he can beat Tommy Fleetwood in a nail-biter. Mark Leishman might be bobbing his head at the line too. I'm going to have a, a, a really stupid ruffie as well then, Clates, because can I have Francesco Molinari as a ruffie, given that no. no one ever mentions him? Well, he's, he's never played very well at Augusta. Well, he finished in the top 10 or 20 last year. That's his best, isn't it? Yeah, it would have been. But can I have him as a ruffie? Absolutely. Uh, the Open champion? Well, as that, a ruffie? Well, you've got, got someone who's won twice at Augusta. <laughs> yeah. I've got, yeah. Yeah. You, well, just from the perspective that no one ever talks about yeah, it. No, yeah, Molinari, absolutely. That's the thing with the Masters field. They're either a chance or they're a no chance. Yeah. There's, there's half the field can win and half the field can't. There's fellow said there were 20 guys who can win. Fleetwood's in that lot, I think. Yeah. yeah. I love Tommy Fleetwood. He's great. Fleetwood and Pepper are brilliant for yeah, golf. they are. Yeah. Great. Yeah, Tommy Fleetwood, I reckon uh, he's been building towards something. I'm not sure if it's this week, but I reckon it's coming for him he's soon. Building. So, uh, Matty... Um, Let's turn our attention away from the, the top end of town. Uh, there's some some key results around the world on other tours for young Australians. There were. On the Symmetra Tour at the Windsor Golf Classic, uh, Steph Nah had her uh, best result in a little while, tied 14th for her, so hopefully she can build on that uh, into the year. Robin Choi also made the cut over there. Um, probably the best result, well, not probably, the best result for an Aussie this week was in Bangladesh. Yep. Um Maverick Ampcliffe, your man, Mav. My man, uh, Mav. With his uh, smashed Mavo Twitter handle. Uh, he was fourth in uh, Bangladesh on the Asian tour, which is uh, his best finish ever. Daniel Fox, Terry Pilkadaris, Trav Smythe, Jack Munro made the cut there. Did you did you know that... Uh, they that played Ma- golf in Bangladesh? I did know that because Travis Smythe put it on my radar last year with some brilliant social media mm-hmm. coverage. Do you know that Maverick Ancliffe, um, for all these great stuff he did in collegiate golf, he, he finished tied thirteenth in the Aussie Open in November. No one would know him if you if you bobbed up in your in your cornflakes tomorrow. You no one in here wouldn't know who he was. Yeah, um, he he finished one shot behind Brendan Steele, two behind Ben Arn and Cam Smith at the Australian Open. Like that's there's quite depth 
of talent there that we just don't appreciate. So well done to him. I'm sure that he's got bigger steps ahead of him as well. Hopefully. Uh, Karis Davidson had a uh, an off week, an unusual off week for her. She missed the cut up on uh, the Japan, Japan yeah. women's tour, but uh, she's having a great year regardless. Um, and over in China, on the PGA Tour China, um, we had a, a bunch of Aussies uh, competing over there. Hazy, I know you were having a look at that, but uh, Corey Hale was the best of the Aussies, T11, and, and Charlie Dan also in the top 20. Is um, Bryden McPherson up there? Yeah, Bryden. Uh, I caught up with Bryden a couple of weeks ago just okay. before he uh, took off. He's uh, he's in a good spot. He's actually he's got five weeks on, comes home for a couple, another five weeks. I want to say home, goes to the US. Yeah. Um, but he, they're actually doing it pretty smart up there. The um, PGA Tour China and the China Tour are actually playing alternate weeks, so there's no so clashes. So you can, you can play both. There are two tours in China? There are. That's what the game needs. Yeah, exactly. So Brad McPherson's actually 23rd on the order of merit after two weeks. Um, you mentioned Charlie Dan there, Matty. Uh, his second top 25 finish in succession, he's up to 11 on the uh, order of merit. So Charlie, like uh, Maverick, a Grant Field guy, who uh, obviously is Cam Smith's coach. There you go. So it's some, Very good. some good stuff coming out of Queensland, isn't there? They're just, just a bit of a pipeline at the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's speaking of Queensland, we'll move down to the amateur game. Uh, some some big results uh, for a really bright young talent, um, Cassie Porter, who's been on the podcast previously, defended her Northern Territory amateur crown at the Alice Springs Golf Club this week. Clates by eleven strokes uh, as sixteen year old. That's a, I know the Northern Territory amateur is not the uh, USM or anything like that, but that's a really impressive performance from a young lady. Yep. <laughs> I'm lovely down the garden path there. I think what you were, were saying there, Hazy, the depth of field might not have been what it what it could have been, no. but she she went well under par and won by a lot. Yeah, but, she she had her foot on the throat of that field the whole whole way. And and um, if we need to get you're you're in charge of this. If we need to get <laughs> any decent women coming through, we need to play longer, more difficult courses. And you know we we're miles behind the rest of the world. We've got a few good players. Got some really good players on the tour, but these young kids who are coming need to start stretching out and it's funny it's playing longer, playing longer, harder courses. And I've been catting in for my sins in women's division two <laughs> pennant, and wow, you know it's uh, not, the setups. Not, the setups yeah. we look, but but you watch the standard, done. and they're actually the courses are almost too long because the standard's so I don't want to say poor, but you know at the top end of women's golf we need to. Get them and stretch them out and play harder court and, and show that if not fudge the scoring by playing Riversdale at five thousand something yards and thinking seventy two is a good score. Yeah, well the Junes Medal did it. Well, I reckon ten ten or twelve years ago, yeah. and they moved the tees from the women's tees to the men's mm. white tees, and all of a sudden the honour board there and they've had the scores up there. The honour board went from fifteen under winning to four under winning yeah. or even par winning, and it has to be more of that. Now the one match. And I came from Michelle Huey, who works for Golf Australia. The one match he played a really good player. It was a 22-year-old from Herod, Olivia Lewis, I think. I felt like saying, let's go back and let, let's play off the tees a bit further back here. So we had, let's have a decent match here. Because the course plays so short. I mean, it's amazing how short. When you play off the women's tees, for someone like Michelle who can hit the ball, he holds a wedge. Well, any, any one no one's these, ever going to get any better doing that. Any one of these girls are hoping to play professionally. Yeah. Whether they do or they don't is is by the by. They're hoping to get there professionally. Mm. So we need to be actually yeah. 
setting them up for what the professional game is. So when someone wins a Northern Territory Amateur by 11 shots, I'm I'm not saying that's not impressive. It's who, one, who'd she beat? And two, how long was the course she played and what score did she shoot? And if you say she played a 6,600-yard course, which is LPGA standard, and she shot even par, then she's a hell of a player. That's, that's really good. But if they played a 5,800-yard course and she shot four under, then I'm not interested. I haven't got the scores in front of me, but uh, I know that she was approximately 15 or 16 under. She was, she was dominant throughout. Yeah. Which, going back to that stroke play thing at Lake Carinot, where Sue beat Menji by one, I think, shot 19 under versus 18 under or something like that. And someone from Carinot, a woman on the, Sharon Dawson, rang me and said, because we just redesigned the golf course, and she said, the course is too short for the women. I said, no, the course is 7,200 yards long. Your problem is you play, you're playing the two of the best amateurs in the world, two tremendous players, off the grandmother's tees. What are you doing that for? Mm. Now put Sue and Minji back at 6,600 yards and then shoot eight under par, then fair enough. But mm. don't tell me the course is too short because they shot 19 under off the grandmother's tees. Mm. I'm, not so, trying to be, I'm not trying to be condescending towards women's golf, but when you've got two players, when Sue is the ball further than I do. No, what, well, we, you know, I don't but, play off the grandmother, off the, off the what, 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 what Tees should be – we should stop calling them women's tees and men's tees. We do it by and have different colours. Yeah. And, and have the, you know, for, for the majority of women who play golf, get up there. At, but for good players, back Couldn't agree more. And as an example, it's not a women or a men thing. We had the VIS out at uh, Huntingdale yesterday. Mm. And Huntingdale off the – well, everyone knows Huntingdale from the Masters. Huntingdale off the backs is a tough course. Yeah. But we had them play the tee of the day, tees of the day. And Blake Collier had an eagle and eight birdies mm. just playing off the tees of the day. And they're, they're the tees that we play our club comps off. Yeah. Mm. And the, that's just too easy for him. Like those front tees are too easy for the women. Yeah. Jake Hughes was the winner of the, the, uh, the men's event. Um, plays his uh, pennant for Kingston Heath in Melbourne, but he's very much a proud Northern Territorian. And on his home track at Alice Springs, Got the chocolates. I know he was thrilled, Clates, because it was the first time he's played a 72-hole tournament and had four subpar rounds. And he fought off John Lyris, who's another impressive young talent from St. Michael's in Sydney. And the runner-up uh, in the women's was Kelsey Bennett, also from St. Michael's. So a couple of near misses for the uh, the Beachside Club there. But um, congratulations to Cassie Porter from Pridgian Beach and Jake Hughes of Alice Springs. Um, great to see uh, a hometown uh, hero win the NT Amateur. Uh, Maddie. The Cassie in particular has moved across to the Gold Coast. Uh, a big week coming up this week, the Australian Junior Championships. There is uh, the first three or four days of the uh, Australian Junior Championships for the girls and the boys up on the Gold Coast. And then after a, uh, a day off, they'll go and play the Interstate Series, the Junior Interstate Series against each other. Uh, it's the, the best of the best juniors around the country competing against each other, which is... Uh, That's under 18, right? Under 18, yeah. So no 18-year-olds, 17. So when we they? played, it was under 21. Yeah, and I think... And it was it was great. It was the, it was the most fun week of the year. Oh, there's no doubt. It's where it's I first a, met Brady and Peter Senior and Ozzy Moore and Roger McKay, and it was it was a great week. Yeah, players love it. Well, it was 40 years ago. Well, that was a long time ago, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, so <clears throat> the prize, the chief prize of the Australian Junior Championships for the past few years has been punching a ticket to the respective Australian Opens, Opens yep. uh, and that's in existence again this year. We were thrilled to announce another big prize this week, teaming up with the IMG Junior World Championships in California in July. So both the, the men's and women's winner will get a start in the Junior World Championships in California. So 
A couple of big prizes on the line at Southport and Coolangatta Tweetheads, both clubs hosting Australian junior titles for the first time, either end of the Gold Coast. So uh, expect uh, a fascinating week there. I'm really actually looking forward to the shootout. I don't think it's necessarily going to be a shootout per se, but I'm looking forward to Cassie Porter um, going up against Madison Hinton-Tolchard, who is the reigning champion from Perth. Um, And there's going to be a handful of others in contention as well, but I think... Uh, the two of them can start to push each other a little bit along the, the path to higher honours later on. Yeah, I think it's uh, – look, they're two obvious ones, but there's there's going to be a few more that they'll have to contend with. Um, I'll throw one at you, Janeth Wong. Oh, she's a gun. She's she, – uh, well, there you go. Now, that goes back to what we were talking about. She, she's a member at Metron Haindel. Mm-hmm. She played in the – it was a monthly medal at Metron on Saturday. And she's a, she's a great. I love her. We're, we're on the 12th green. She was on the 7th tee playing with three old blokes she'd put her name down with, who were just hackers, off the back tee on the seventh of Metro. Turned what a, turned a driver out, smacked it up on the front of the green. So she was playing the men's monthly medal of, the, of a 7,100-yard of a golf course. Yeah. 14 years old, rips it. She's great. She's a good She's player. Amazing. Unfortunately, at this stage, not a citizen. Permanent resident, and we're uh, we're just waiting for the yeah. citizenship to come <laughs> through, um, especially in Victoria. No yeah. doubt. And uh, she's um, – she's, but that, going back to what we are talking to – off the, she played the men's monthly medal off the back of the men's tees. We put her name down with three old guys. Yeah. And tiny, and she's little. And she's, she's little. And she's great. She's a player. Yeah, she's great. And I'll also keep an eye on Sophie Yip from New South Wales, mm-hmm. who's uh, of that same sort of age bracket. Uh, very talented young player. And no doubt, I think without being rude to her either, like you were just saying, Janeth is, is um, tiny. Um, Sophie hasn't got a lot of... Uh, she's got long levers, hasn't got a lot of muscle on them yet, but uh, you know we'll see what that be, what becomes of her in the next couple of years. Uh, so big, big setup there. I I wanted to make mention. Um, I said I was done with the Masters, but in housekeeping for Greg Oakford, Golf Australia has a Masters tipping competition on the homepage. So Clayton, you have to go as soon as we finish here and uh, type in Roy McIlroy along with. 74 million other people are picking Roy McIlroy. <laughs> um, so pick the winner, the winning score, and the top-ranked Aussie, and you could win a Callaway Epic flash driver valued $800 and two dozen Callaway golf balls. Um, so just head to the Golf Australia's Facebook page to enter or the homepage uh, for further details. Uh, further to the um, – we had a great interview last week with Luke Bates from formerly of Golf Queensland, uh, now Golf Australia, of course, in the Brisbane office. Uh, talking about the Outback Queensland Masters. Following the chat, um, just want to reiterate to people to head to www.outbackqldmasters.com for all the details of the Outback Queensland Masters running through June and July. Chance to see six great regional Outback towns in Queensland. Um, I think it was starting in Roma from memory, haven't got the sheet with me, ending in Mount Isa towards the end of July. Chance at a million-dollar prize. Chance to see some great Australian Outback towns. Uh, going to be an awesome adventure. Is I think Blakey uh, is Blakey signed up. Yet? We're we're working on Blakey um, being part of it. And I just saw Clates' eyes light how up. How do you win a million dollar prize? What's that about? If you make four holes in one in a round or something, or what? If you play at least two of the six <laughs> venues or two of the starting five, you mm. can go to Mount Isa mm. and you get your shot at a million dollars. Which I assume, without any prize, any information here, is a hole in one at uh, on a designated hole. At Mount Isa, you just have to have played a couple of the courses or a couple of the towns beforehand. But outbackqldmasters.com for all the details. That's going to be a cracker. And if we can get Blakey on it, I reckon there'll be some great content as well. It's uh, just a, a a great thing for Australian golf. Boys, that's just about it for episode 97. Anything you want to put on the table, Matty? 
No, I think we've pretty much covered it, Hazy. It's good Thank to you have having me. It's good to have you back. We were start, there was a lot of calls wondering whether you were ever going to make it. I was available. I was just is getting that, nervous. <laughs> is your Twitter fan page still going? Was it Maddie Cutler's hat or something? Whatever it is, or buried? Hopefully gone. Okay, it's still in existence, still pumping away, Clay. Okay, good. All right. Anything you want to put on the table, Clay? No, nothing. No, you've offended enough people. Augusta, yeah, no, just Augusta will be good. Um, pennant this week. Any interest in? Men's pennant Metro playing Kingston Heath for a place in the final, which will be interesting, at Royal Melbourne. Is that a blood match? So if anyone wants to go and watch a decent bit of amateur golf, it's good. Men's pennant, Division 1, it's a great standard. Both both men's and women's on a Sunday. It's actually a cracking way to uh, spend a Sunday yeah. afternoon. So if, you want to, if you've never seen Royal Melbourne, you want to go and watch a decent bit of golf at Royal Melbourne, go and watch the men's pennant on Sunday afternoon. Have you got anything for our other states, for the people in the state? They can, well, it's a... Cheap airfare, isn't it? You can fly down and have a look. <laughs> I'm not sure what Get to the Aussie Junior. Get to the Aussie Junior. We didn't even, talk, the, about the, the we didn't even talk about the boys at the Aussie Junior, Hazy. No, well, who, but, you um, throw it in. That's why I put it up there. Who, who are you interested in uh, watching? The, at, oh, uh, there's a bunch. Tyler Duncan, local guy up there, Mitchell Crabb, Nathan Page, Ryan Thomas, my favourite golfer, Tasmania that lives in Melbourne, ticks every box. <laughs> uh, Harrison Crow. Yeah, I love Harry Dobbler, who's been around forever. Now, who's that young Tasmanian girl from... Who's playing it? Mackenzie Wilson, Mackenzie Wilson. or Mackenzie. Hallie Meburn? Uh, Mackenzie, yeah. Mackenzie, Mackenzie. She's good, isn't she? Yeah, Mackenzie and Hallie are playing in the combined team. So Hallie should be by. Why does she keep shooting bad scores? She's better than that. There's Matt Goggin's niece, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. She's looks really good. She's an athlete. I, I keep looking at her and she keeps shooting 82. And I go, she's what are you doing? Athlete. She had glandular fever this year. She can hit it. She's, she's good. So she's, she's uh, what's she, 15, 16? Ah, uh, no, she's 14, maybe. Is that all she is? No, oh, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm being harsh then. Well, thank God the pair of you didn't have anything further to add. Yeah. <laughs> Just got to prompt us. No, Harrison Crow, I think, it's is good to see uh, Tasmania. Like Josh Greer, Hayden Hopewell. Seriously, there's a lot of talent. <clears throat> yeah, a lot it's of true. Talent at the Aussie Junior. And Josh Greer and Hayden Hopewell uh, alongside uh, Carl Phillips, all in the top 12 in the Junior President's Cup the rankings President's Cup. released this week. Okay. Um, so I think Carl's gone to the top, which is great. Um, but yeah, Hayden Hopewell and Josh Greer both in the, in the running to, to play at Royal Melbourne later this year. That's it. I'm offering no more chances. You're going to talk again. No, no. Episode 97 in the can. We'll have Andy Marr back next week for episode 98.